Mom? This is Ratzinger. Who are you? Where's Mom? Chief of Police, get your butt out of there now. You know, I was in numb with a jerk like you. Oh, boy. Uh, what's your name, son? What shall I call you? Well, I always like the name Chip. Would you call me Chip? Okay. What was that shooting just now, Chip? Oh, wait! Call me Skip. Okay, Skip. What was that shooting? Well, the cameras. I shot the cameras. They were looking at me. Quit looking at me! Oh my God, he's barking. Skip, we can be inside on top of you in a heartbeat. Try to run, you won't get five feet. Yeah. Well, you tell your man just one bullet could hit some dynamite and blow up the whole street. I've planted it everywhere, you know. Don't you think I know how you plan to get out of there? You switch on a tape recorder, I'm talking to a machine while you crawl out through the third floor heating vent. Not a bad plan, except... I couldn't fit with all this money, and besides, I've booby-trapped the vents with heavy explosives. Come on, dog! God, I hate this town. Uh, let's see if we can make a deal here, Chip. Uh, Skip. I'd like to get those people out of there. Fine. I want a city bus with a full tank of gas. I want uh, a Harley Davidson XL1000. I want a monster truck. A what? And I want two Jet Ranger helicopters here on the street. I'll get you the choppers. I'll get you the bus, the Harley, and the uh, the monster truck just as soon as you give me the damn hostages. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure no harm will come to me once I'm inside the bank all by myself. At least give me the women. Get your own women. One hostage per demand. One? Listen, I've had just about enough of your comedy clown. We're coming in through the plate glass. All right. I gotta hang up now because I gotta go kill everybody, okay? Don't bust my chops, white guy. It's not that easy. It takes time to find two jet cruisers or pilots who are willing to fly out an armed felon. I don't need a pilot. Now, you got 30 minutes to meet my first demand. What's your number up there? 2590660. Don't try anything rash or you're dead along with everyone else. 60? And uh, that's here in area code 212? Hey everybody, welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. We have a particularly special episode as far as I'm concerned. We are looking at the 1990 film Quick Change. This actually is, I would say, one of a handful of movies that basically inspired me doing this podcast. Um, there are you know, numerous movies that I, I mean, obviously I've been doing the show for a while and been pulling out weirdo movies and obscure things and stuff and subjecting many friends uh, to those and, and listeners. But there are a handful of movies that over the years I've like particularly loved and I'll try to like sit people down and be like, you need to see this. We need to watch this thing. And Quick Change has been one that I've shown to several people throughout the years. And uh, almost all of them have, uh, have embraced it uh, when I've shown it to them. 
And so we actually have uh, two newbies to Quick Change coming to the podcast here today. So I continue that tradition. We have uh, myself and one other person has seen it and, uh, and cherishes it from the past. But we have uh, two newbies coming to see Quick Change. So Quick Change is a Bill Murray comedy from 1990. It uh, did not do well. It cost $17 million and made 15, so it was a, an official box office bomb, which was the biggest national tragedy since The Challenger. Uh, that should not have occurred for this <laughs> film. Um, but it was, uh, it's the only film directed by Bill Murray. He co-directed it with a director named Howard Franklin. They uh, decided on this project. They came across this book, or someone kind of pitched it to him. Murray uh, really likes the angle. They couldn't find a director that they liked. At some point, Jonathan Demme was being discussed, which is mm -hmm. kind of a, a weird I possibility. Um, Robert Zemeckis, I saw somewhere, was thrown around, but it seemed like he was just thrown around as a producer. But I absolutely could have seen Robert Zemeckis in 1990 doing this film. Like, that Robert Zemeckis could have like done it well as well. Um, but yeah, so they ultimately decided to direct it together. They had to go to like the Directors Guild to get that agreed to because that usually doesn't happen. They don't allow people to co-direct unless they're like official directing teams like the Coen brothers and the Wachowskis and that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's the only movie that Murray has ever directed. Franklin has directed several films over the years. Most notably, he did The Name of the Rose, which is a Sean Connery kind of murder mystery with monks. It's pretty good. Um, he did a movie called The I'm Public in. Eye that I've never seen that had Joe Pesci. Um, he did two other Bill Murray movies, Larger Than Life and The Man Who Knew Too Little. Both Murray movies that I remember not being good, but I'm willing to give them another shot. I was like, I was like, I've only seen those once. I want to, I want to go back and, and take another look. So I'm, I'm going to Larger Than Life. That was that like weird mid nineties elephant run. Yes. It was like Operation Dumbo Drop. <laughs> yes. We were on a previous podcast, you and I, Fabs, where you were stringently defending Larger Than Life as top five I like Larger Than movies. Life. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. Don't, don't get him started about elephant movies, man. It's tr it triggers a whole weird thing. A I could opine for hours. So uh, some other uh, some other info on this. So this movie, the screenplay, is written by Howard Franklin, the co-director. It's based on the book by Jay Cronley. Uh, that author wrote, you know, some other kind of like light comedic novels, I believe. He wrote the book Funny Farm, which got turned into the Chevy Chase movie. I um, love Funny Farm. And one thing I didn't know is Quick Change was previously filmed. The, the book was adapted in 1985, like a French-Canadian version called Hold Up which I found is on YouTube and I skimmed through it and it didn't look good. Um, but I also don't speak French. So who knows? Maybe it's uproarious. I don't know. But, uh, but there is a previous version from 1985. Um, so yeah, I've got a couple other things I'll introduce here, but first let's, uh, let's dig into our cast for this. I will say that this is another of our, like, um, our, uh, kind of team up episodes with the revenge of the 90s crew so uh, we have those boys on this one because this is a Hi. 1990s movie and uh, and uh, and we have a, another regular joining us so uh, here today we've got Steve coming back for more more podcast oh, can never get enough 
Uh, we also have Fabs, who's a who's a glutton for podcasts and elephant movies. Mmm, Babar, baby. <laughs> have, have they made a Babar movie? I, only an, only an animated, like, animated one. one yeah. Is it as racist as the books? Um, I don't recall it being. They should make like a really gritty one that like dives into like the ivory tusk trade. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Um, <laughs> all right, and uh, we also have uh, rejoining us here Eric, who uh, has been on uh, many of our yeah. podcasts, and I'm I'm running out of introductions <laughs> for him. So hello, Eric. Uh, I'm not a regular. I'm the regular. Yeah, aren't true. you the guest? Aren't you the guest king? <laughs> That's right. Yes, it's similar to the Rat King. There are multiple <laughs> versions of Eric, all bound together with like feces and dirt. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, with that wonderful joke behind us, uh, I will move on here to uh, yeah. So some other quick change stuff uh, to note. So, uh, this movie has an insane cast, which I'm sure we will talk about at length during this episode, but it stars Bill Murray is our lead, Gina Davis is his girlfriend, Randy Quaid is his, like, kind of childhood best friend, uh, Jason Robards, the great uh, character actor Jason Robards, you might not know the name, but he's been in a ton of stuff over the years, he plays, like, the chief of police and uh, he was in movies like Long Day's Journey Into Night. He's in Magnolia. He's the old man who's dying in Magnolia. And Jason Robards actually had cancer while they were filming that. And it was like the last film he ever made. That's very method of him. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, very Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, uh, he was in the great film Once Upon a Time in the West. He was in All the President's Men and Philadelphia and many other movies uh, throughout his career. Uh, this also has Tony Shalhoub in a uh, in a small but very potent uh, character <laughs> role. It has a, a very young it. a very young Stanley Tucci who somehow still looks fifty eight <laughs> in it. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> it has I, Phil... that was seven seventeen year old Stanley Tucci. <laughs> <laughs> It has uh, Phil Hartman in a, in a uh, small oh, yeah. but very memorable comedic scene, a very funny scene. And, um, and he's with uh, Catherine Grody, who's not someone that I recognized, but I think she's been a comedian who's been in some things. And then I, I think she's married to Mandy Patinkin. Because I saw an image, I was like, and I saw them together. I was like, oh, wait, I've seen them like on Twitter videos talking about Trump. Um, so I think she was like a comedic actress like in the 80s and 90s. Uh, Bob Elliott is in it as a bank guard. He uh, he's actually Chris Elliott's father, the comedian Chris Elliott. So uh, Bob Elliott shows up. He oh, that's been awesome. In, yeah, he had that. been in stuff I think like in the fifties and sixties, seventies, and like small comedic parts and stuff. And uh, so he pops up here, and then uh, Kurt Wood Smith, who is probably mm-hmm. most famously known as the dad on that 70s show, Red. Mm-hmm. But he's also the gangster in RoboCop mm-hmm. who delivers no, the baby. line, bitches leave. Um, so <laughs> Kurt Wood Smith uh, pops up in this movie. And there might be some other character actors. There's some other people who are very funny and like, there's a bus driver character who I don't know. I've seen that guy in anything else, but he's fantastic in this. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh yeah, that guy's in a ton of stuff. He yeah. He okay. Plays a bunch of His name's Philip Bosco, random. so I'm not sure. Uh, at some Inventor point, Inventor of Bosco sticks. 
sure. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So that's uh, that's some of the lengthy cast that's in this movie. So you know you've heard <clears throat> many of these names, I'm sure, and you've got some solid comedic heavy hitters. And this is 1990, so you've got Bill Murray. Gina Davis, who's starring in tons of movies at that point, and you have Randy Quaid coming hot off the heels of Christmas Vacation. So you're like, your top three people, it's like pretty stacked walking into this movie. Um, yeah. All right, so let's, I'll, I'll just say this movie does have um, some like kind of light spoilers. So I'll say for our crew here, let's hold off for a little bit before we kind of reveal uh, some of the stuff that happens. Um, but, uh, you know, that kind of occurs in the plot. But I will say the, the crux of this movie is that Bill Murray is dressed as a clown. And he, you may have seen this image, even if you haven't seen this movie. It's Bill Murray in full clown regalia. And he goes into a bank and is going to rob the bank. And um, then from there, he attempts to essentially escape New York to get away with like a million plus dollars or something so that's kind of the setup for what this uh this movie is it's a very simple kind of structure which i can very much see why murray and his co-director thought like oh this could so well work for a comedic vehicle because it's just like a great setup and then crazy set pieces crazy characters and we just like go as far with it as we can so that's kind of uh, what we've got going. As I've said, uh, I absolutely love this movie. We'll circle back around to me in a moment, but uh, I'll open it up to my panel here. Initial thoughts. What do we make of Quick Change? So uh, I, I want to hear from first. people who hadn't seen it. Yeah. Before. So that, yeah, I hadn't seen this. I hadn't really heard of it. And um, I, I looked it up and saw what the cast was, and I remember saying to Linton that that means it's either like a forgotten gem or like a really, really bad comedy from the nineties. I was leaning towards it was going to be a really bad one. Um, that was not like the nothing case. Nothing but trouble. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> and I would liken it to like, uh, like one of those bad eighties comedies they would show on comedy central when I was growing up, but it was good. Like it had that kind of vibe, but like it was well written and performed and like the jokes were hitting so I was very very pleasantly surprised because I thought it was going to be just like a really bad movie but I enjoyed it a great deal yeah yeah I uh, I was very pleasantly surprised by my reaction to this I, I not that I would have been like you know it's like oh, Bill Murray, Bill Murray he's movie. a piece of shit <laughs> fuck this no I, uh... I fucking hate clowns <laughs> set me up do you think uh, um but no i i <laughs> what were you gonna say here i was gonna say this came out around the same time as the it miniseries right do you think that's something to do with why it failed oh oh my god Maybe nobody I wanted to see a movie why it clown. failed but i'll i'll save it but no that's a good that's a good point we can talk about that later all right yeah. steve what do you got no i would i i really loved it um i thought that and without giving anything away i thought that this movie i was like into it uh, but I was I was fully on board and and kind of saw it for being the, as you said, the forgotten gem that it is within the last thirty minutes. Like once 
once like Tony Shalhoub and and there's uh, the gangster angle and like all these like storylines come together over that last 30 minutes I was like oh this is like a this is an underrated comedy classic this is what I was kind of like thinking it would become when you have told me about it and stuff I was like oh okay I see it for how you're describing it and um it's an interesting it's kind of like as far as like Bill Murray goes in and I think it's really interesting because it kind of like gives you a little bit of a glimpse into the actor that he would become like a decade later where there's like a a dramatic nuanced side to him a little bit uh he because there's some moments in this with Gina Davis where he plays it straight because almost always he whenever he had like a female uh you know counterpart in a movie he would always play it as still sort of a wisecracking you know kind of like uh silly you know never never that serious like any all everything in ghostbusters is like still played to like a joke like there's very rarely moments where he plays it with a serious tone um and like quick change he you just kind of see this little like flip to it he's he's he doesn't play every like everything's funny but like maybe in like a dark way but there's just something different to it there's an edge to to it a little bit yeah it's very fresh and I think everything lands in a way that I think it lands in a way that I can see why the movie flopped and that it's not like broad comedy. Although Randy Quaid does some really great broad stuff in this, but um, it's just really well done and it's crafted really well. Like it's shot pretty beautifully. Oh, There's yeah. some really great, um, I know there's, I know it's like really small stuff, but like, I mean, there's some shots in this that like genuinely are just like wonderful, wonderful shots. Like there's a scene in the airport at the end where like Gina Davis, like uh, Bill Murray leaves a shot and there's some tension, obviously without getting too much into it yet. And he leaves the, he leaves the um, shot and like it zooms in on like Gina Davis. And it just is like, you don't see a lot of those types of shots in like, comedies it's always very like i don't know joke move on um and i don't know this feels so much more like there's so much more care behind it um and i think well, there's that, that not helps. not to derail but that there's that bit this one really stood out to me this time near the end when they're trying to get to the airport and uh this light hits them out of nowhere and it just is straight on them and has this like kind of unholy vibe like mysterious and they're just like total blackness behind them and it's like a really artistic looking shot um and then it ends up being just like the light from like an airport baggage cart so it's like it makes sense it exists within the world but the shot that they capture is this like that you don't see that in comedies (laughs) right and and like the the harsh lighting on their faces was like jarring but like kind of beautiful and you're like this is like like what am i watching it it, it was very strange but in a good way and it it just um adds to the uh, i think sort of like like appeal to the movie in that it's not just some little comedy i guess from 1990 it's like it's like genuinely crafted to be a good movie and i think that helps it hold up more than it would if it was just like a silly movie yeah, um, just real quick, uh, another good example of 
the strange care taking taken with like stuff like lighting and, and camera shots uh, when they're walking down the dark, desolate street and you see this like mm. large shadow illuminated and this like little old woman is selling flowers for the dead and there's like flores, super creepy flores, yeah, flores, flores, flores. yeah and this creepy like dystopian pocket of new york city um is is just tremendous and one lone uh, stray dog runs across the path. yes yeah right like this movie um i grew up with this movie i i've seen this movie seven or eight times uh this is one my dad showed me like i was super young um but i think it it has enough like physical comedy that I enjoyed it. And then, you know, going back to it, you, you get the exposition comedy as well. Um, it was one of the ones that we recorded off HBO and just watched a ton of times. Um, but I mean, I, it intersects so many things I like. It's just the cast alone is incredible. Uh, tremendous writing. It's a heist movie. It's a bizarro, like, 80s early 90s New York City movie which if like I've talked about in several of our other podcasts where I love when they make New York a character and this certainly does a strange take on that with the people they run into um I well you can't discount you you can't discount this being a Bill Murray movie because he's a Chicago guy taking a giant dump all over New York City. Like, this oh, is a totally. movie he's for constantly... people who hate New York City. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love he's it. constantly yeah. just shitting. On... We'll so have words about that. The city. <laughs> <laughs> he talks about how much he hates the city. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you guys are saying. Like, I think it's it's so well written. It's so well shot, acted. Um, and the three leads are all, you know, pretty much – in the primes of their career with their probably their most influence. And this is also, this might be my favorite Randy Quaid character. Like I love uncle Eddie so much, but I think this character is a lot harder to pull off um, than uncle Eddie. Like uncle Eddie is just like really ridiculous and his clothes and everything adds to it. But to clarify I, I mean, for it, readers, he's cousin Eddie in the film, but he is Fab's uncle. Uh, <laughs> uncle Randy Quaid is you. Fab's uncle. Sorry, cousin So you know Eddie, where he is? That. You know where he is hiding out from the Star Hiding Wackers? from the Star Wackers. <laughs> yeah, he's actually in our attic right now. Um, yeah, him and his wife are filming Recording all those our, strobe light uh, Trump videos? Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, they pay rent on time, so it's fine. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, this movie... He's got I'm those Caddyshack we... 2 royalty checks still coming in. <laughs> I love Caddyshack 2. It's so bad. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I lo- this movie's so good. I, I just... If this movie came out today, it would be, like, one of the highlights of the year. Like, it would be a really, like, well-known, acclaimed comedy, I think. And I'm really excited to hear uh, Lytton's theories on, like, why this movie didn't work because I just still, like – I mean, to be fair, I didn't do any of the research for, like, what other movies came out that <laughs> year. So that probably has something to do with it. But just, like, on face value, rewatching the movie, it still holds up. It still doesn't really have any parts that make you, like, cringe because, yeah. like, times have changed, which was delightful uh, because, yeah. you know, there are a lot of 80s movies I love. That I'm just like, oh, I guess this is another era. But it's hard to go back and rewatch. This movie, I literally rented it and then rewatched I've watched it two times in the last, like, 14 hours. Yeah, I, on, on that last point, it uh, – oh, very cool that you've watched it uh, twice now. Um, but uh, on that last point, yeah, I don't 
it, it doesn't it doesn't have anything that's like oh god that joke like it's nothing there's right. nothing and i mean there's plenty of movies that i still love and i'm just like oh, okay look the other way on that one but you know but like i don't have to do that on this one and thinking about it i think largely it has to do with you know it's it's not you know some comedies even if they don't try to do this you know they end up punching down in some way that 10 years later 15 years later you look at and you're like oh i mean that was okay at the time or that was risky at the time but we thought it was good um but this movie like its attack is on the city its attack is kind of on a way of life and just like kind of you know on on large cities on new york in particular and kind of being like stuck in a life you don't enjoy and so while it shows a lot of like insane new york characters at no point is it like making anybody into like a horrendous stereotype i mean the closest thing you could say like tony shalhoub's character is presented as kind of just a stereotypical foreign cabbie but they don't they don't make him into just like ludicrous or awful or you know you don't feel uncomfortable and he has some of the funniest stuff in the movie um and even the for the movie chief, in total it, well even the police chief ratzinger plays it really like he really like he plays it in a way where he like um em- like uh, i don't know em- embraces uh tony shalhoub's cab driver like i found it very interesting yeah. that he like ca- like almost is like very caring towards him and like none of the yeah. cops like treat him with any sort of like disdain there's like a joke about in- an interrogation versus an interpreter and so it's insinuated <laughs> that he was beat up <laughs> in a back room yeah. Yeah. but like but i don't know what language he speaks <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I think Tony Shalhoub's like the star yeah. of this. I, I can't. I oh, love, I love so him, man. I just love him as a yeah. as a and his, physical his, uh, his foreignness is also has a bearing on the plot, so he's not really a token to laugh at. Like the fact that he right. isn't understood is yeah. it, it has consequences that are important to the movie. So that's true. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. So but in total, uh, so I'm like Fabs. I've seen this movie so many times. I have had or possibly still have in a box this on VHS. I think I like nice. bought it from maybe like the video store because they were like selling their VHS tapes. And it's like, yes, I will take quick change. <laughs> um, I've had it on DVD for years. I think it was like slow to get to DVD. And I remember being like very like happy when that happened. And I now have it on Blu-ray because it finally came out on Blu-ray a couple months ago, which I had been waiting for it to be on Blu-ray for years now. Uh, but they no, got your letters <laughs> and threats. <laughs> um, but quick change, like I, for me, like I, for like if we're talking Bill Murray comedies, like I mean, I would even include the Wes Anderson stuff in it. But even if you want to segment those out and be like, okay, those are those are a different animal. They're they're you know dramedy kind of things but especially for bill murray comedies for me the big three are ghostbusters groundhog day and quick change and everybody's seen the first two but no one ever talks about quick change and i mean there there is like it's definitely garnered a cult following and not even a cult following in the kind of like oh it's just like some internet people who love this like critics did like this movie It, it got a lot of good notices for the film itself and really good notices for bill murray and there are retrospective articles. I've read some of them, and before doing this show, I was looking them up again. Like, you can find retrospective articles that are like, quick change at 20, quick change at 25, quick change at 30. So, like, there yeah, are right. people at, like, some of, like, Variety and AV Club and stuff 
who clearly love this movie and have been doing their due diligence every five years to like push it on the public to try to be like, hey, know about this thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I love it. I mean, it's I, it. I will go so far as to say it's like it's genuinely one of my favorite comedies and among my favorite movies, period. Um, I think it's incredibly well written. We'll dive into the jokes coming up. Absolutely. And we talked a little bit about like the shots and stuff, um, the character work. I will say something off of uh, what you were mentioning, Steve, uh, that it felt akin or almost like the first steps toward the Rushmore Bill Murray and, and other roles. I mean, a lot of times people look at Groundhog Day as like, okay, that's like a more mature Bill Murray toward the Wes Anderson thing. But the idea of this one being kind of the actual benchmark uh, is interesting. And I there is a, an interview with the co-director, Howard Franklin, um, where that gets brought up. And one of the uh, the interviewer says, like, of all of his characters, Grimm, who is Bill Murray's character in this, Grimm, Grimm is the one that stands out to me that has the most Bill Murray in it. And Franklin says, right. A lot of people will say, if you really want to see where the turn came, the turn where he became the guy in Rushmore and lost in translation, it's quick change. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, So that's the director, you know, co-director's view of it. Um, I would say, you know, there's more pathos in Groundhog Day. They're, They're doing more heartstrings and stuff and that kind of thing. But it starts here. This is not Venkman mm. Murray. This is not Meatballs Murray. This is not uh, he's a Cinderella boy Murray. Although <laughs> yeah. he does go into uh, moments of that uh, with one particular like uh, segment and character. But yeah, so I, I wholeheartedly love this. I've uh, watched it many many times, and but I hadn't watched it in a while, and so I was laughing solidly throughout at different lines. And then there's one segment that I will always laugh at and we will get to that coming up. But I was, uh, it'd been so long and I was just like, Oh, I was rolling when, when I hit that I, moment. I so. think it's going to be the same segment. I, cause there's possibly a, there's, we'll, we'll, we'll wait till we yeah. get to the, our favorite bits. All right. So, um, yeah, that's where I stand on it. Um, from there, um, yeah, I don't know if, uh, we want to, uh, cause we want to kind of like, well, let me ask you this before we okay. hop into it. Lynn, let me ask you yeah. this: um, of all the retros, because you read you read some of those retrospectives, do they offer up yeah. any sort of like reason why the movie flopped the way that it did? Because it's like if it's so cri- it was critically acclaimed, it has. I know you're not a fan of it, but an 82 <laughs> percent on Rotten Tomatoes, yes. which I gen I generally accept those. Results. I I, um, I try. I've said this before to clarify. I've put it on episodes, but I've never clarified. I basically trust high ratings on Rotten Tomatoes because the system that you have to go through to get a high rating on Rotten Tomatoes, I think, is reliable. Like, to be able to go through that gauntlet of how they set okay. it up. If you sure. have a high rating, it's probably deserved. But I don't trust the low ratings be- based on how they set it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I Because it lumps... Okay. It lumps, like, you know, if anything that's slightly negative gets lumped in with the biggest dog shit in the world and it slants right. the scale. So that's, that's why I basically don't trust it on the low end. Like, Cause they've said like, Oh, this movie's like got a 22% and then I'll watch it and be like, that's actually pretty good. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but <laughs> so that's where I'm coming from. 
That's true. I I, do, I have seen uh, F nine only get a sixty two percent, and I I don't know how it's not a hundred. So <laughs> I, I do have to I do question it a little bit. But all right, anyway, uh, but I, I, so I, do, I do wonder. I do have a theory. I can throw it out. Uh, but yeah, okay, that's a fair enough place. Uh, we've 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 glowingly talked about this movie a bit. We'll dig into the jokes. We'll dig into the plot and everything. But that's a fair enough place to start. I'll say what I think it might be. But I'll put it anyone else. Eric, let's go with your clown theory first and then field any other possibilities of why we think this might not have worked. Well, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I think it came out around 1990, right? Or that's when it aired? It, yeah, it was 1990. Yeah. And it was a miniseries, yeah, so it was, so, like, spread out. And I know that was, I think at the time, pretty popular, or at least well-known. And I perhaps people didn't want to see another clown if he was on the poster as a clown it might have turned people off i don't know it seems odd that that would overtake the fact that the movie has legitimate star power but could be a factor i don't think people were really afraid of clowns until it i'll say i'll I'll throw this out just some quick checking so Quick Change came out the summer of 1990. It didn't come out until November of uh, 1990. But I'm sure there were trailers and posters, and It, the book, had been out and was incredibly popular leading up to that. So, maybe. It's possible. And people just hate clowns in okay. general. So, I mean, there's I that. Mean, I mean, I think you got to look at, like, what was... Like, the types of movies coming out in 1990. Like, top movies, Born on the Fourth of July, Driving Miss Daisy... Uh, Hunt for Red October, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Pretty Woman, um, Dick Tracy, Die Hard 2, Ghost, um, and then Home Alone in like during Christmas time. Like none of those are, you know, a traditional Bill Murray type comedy. They're all like, they are all very specific. They're all very like transitioning into that what would become like the 90s movies and this very very much feels like a you know like a 1986 movie that happened to be made in 1989 coming out in 1990 mm-hmm. i'm looking at the i'm looking at the the box office and what was released yeah. in july of so 1990 I, just to get I've, a sense i've got it yeah i've got it here so this is what i checked last night because i've never heard why this tanked and if you read into backstories on a lot of films it'll be like oh the studio fucked with it or you know this or that happened or it, it didn't open wide enough i mean it's sometimes there's like reasons why something tanked you know there's not always reasons but sometimes there are um and for a movie that i would say is this good with this amount of talent i mean keep in mind this is like gina davis essentially in her prime she'd done the fly in 1986 she had been in numerous movies, like kind of starring vehicles. Beetlejuice. Um, Thelma and Louise was a just come couple out, years. Yeah. Oh, Beetlejuice, yeah. yeah. Beetlejuice was 88. Thelma and Louise and um, A League of Their Own were on the horizon. So she's like right in her prime here. Randy Quaid. What a cheater, man. Jesus. Yeah. He just, Randy Quaid was an established comedic actor, and then he's coming off of Christmas Vacation. And then Bill Murray, at this point in his career, had been on Saturday Night Live. He had been in Meatballs, Stripes, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters, Caddyshack. Ghostbusters Two, Caddyshack, yeah, Ghostbusters Two, the year before this, um, Scrooge, the year before that. So like, he was like, I mean, I know like, I don't think Scrooge did like amazing business, but still, I think those were like basically all hits. And then he comes to this. So 
I don't know based on that cast how it couldn't at least turn a profit. But I was looking at it yeah. last night, and I was looking at all right, well, what came out in 1990? So Back to the Future Three came out in May, and you have to remember that like movies farther back had longer release windows where like stuff could would stay in theaters longer and they would do well in theaters longer so back future came out in may quick change came out in july back future is probably still in theaters in july based on the way movies used to be out so like it was probably still making money in july gremlins 2 came out in june was not in a massive blockbuster success but it like made like 40 million dollars or something so much more than quick change and it's also a comedy um so that could have like encroached on a little bit but those are the only ones that i saw leading into quick change of like okay could these have affected possibly in some way so you but said quick, what what did you say gremlins 2 and back, back to future 3 was in may and gremlins 2 was in june and then quick change was in july but if you look at what what so i was just looking for like immediate uh, like leading up to it and then kind of immediately after to see if there was anything that i could like figure out because we did one on winnie winnie the pooh i i got it we did one on winnie the pooh (laughs) and it opened against harry potter and that's why it was obliterated (laughs) at the box office so so what i found was that quick change opened on the same fucking day as the movie ghost <laughs> yeah and if you grew up in the 90s you would know that ghost was a big deal yes. and was like parodied in everything everywhere but what yep. you might not know and what i did not know about ghost is how successful ghost was because i've never given a fuck about ghost yeah. it's like it's fine whatever but if you look at what ghost so so this movie cost I think I said, what, 17 million and it made 15. So that's a comedy in 1990, pretty low budget and everything. And obviously was not able to make its money back. Ghost cost 22 million. So comparable budget, a little bit more. You've got some special effects going. You've got Patrick Swayze, who's a up, you know, kind of emerging star. You've got uh, Whoopi Goldberg, you got Demi Moore. So you got to pay some people there. It made $505 million, which Jesus. might as well make it a fucking Avengers Jesus. movie in 1990. Like, that <laughs> yeah. amount of money? Wow. Movies did not regularly make $505 million. Like, that's, that's like block. That's block. That, that, I know for yeah. what that yeah. is. Like, if we're talking like Jurassic, Jurassic Park, like, sure. But this is like Ghost was, you know, it's mm. a, it's like a romantic comedy mystery. It's, basically, it's weird because right. it's not right. a family movie either. So it's 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 a movie that probably only adults are seeing, or maybe maybe teenagers. I wouldn't even think. That's strange. Like the ultimate date movie, right? Like yeah. So so this movie. So so what I think is, uh, Quick Change went head to head with Ghost. For some reason, Ghost won. <laughs> And then it became probably this cross-section of, yeah, it's a date movie. There's this sexy clay scene. It's got Whoopi yeah, Goldberg. Yeah. It's got Whoopi Goldberg, <laughs> this, you know, this comedian you like. And she ended up winning an Oscar for it. So, like, yeah. it just became this, like, like a Sixth Sense level thing, I'm guessing, yeah. where it was just like a word of mouth, like, you gotta see Ghost. Yeah, that's weird. So, like, and apparently that's so, the only again, movie anyone was seeing at the time. <laughs> So yeah, I never knew that Ghost was that successful, and I mean that, and I think that five hundred five is like worldwide. So I don't know what it made domestic, but still, let's say it made three hundred fifty million dollars domestic. That's still insane That's for what Ghost is in nineteen ninety. 
Like, totally. Ghost, no offense to people like Ghost, but Ghost could have made, like, could have had a budget of $22 million and made $100 million and everybody on that production would have been ecstatic. Yeah. They would have been like, oh, we did our job. Right. How is there no Ghost sequel? <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess, like, it. you can't really Still have ghosting. a Ghost sequel. No, you, you do it. You do it like U.S. Marshals. You just yeah. do a different ghost. Yeah. You can new characters. Demi- different ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> you have a you have a universe like there. Demi Moore. And, yeah. You can you can just yeah. have a whole new cast with new ghosts. Dude. <laughs> you could do. You could almost do like Ghostbusters crossover. Like right. a, like the next Conjuring. Yeah, the next Conjuring <laughs> yeah. or like a Ghostbusters. Like you start bringing in like the Ghost Universe. Whoopi yeah. Goldberg shows up or something. That'd, <laughs> That'd be, be interesting. Awesome. Uh, so the well, company, no, you should have just taken Whoopi Goldberg and, and made her the vehicle for the sequel because she's you know can still talk yeah. to ghosts. Yeah. In the in no. the Conjuring universe, her own movie, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like a comedy. <laughs> At this point, well, that universe could use a movie like that. I mean, it really could. Um, sorry, I was too excited to talk about box office uh, stuff. The one movie, too, that we didn't talk about that came out the week before Ghost was Die Hard okay. 2. So, okay, yeah. I must have missed yeah. that one. All right. So um, so here's – I was looking at – I'm looking at all of July's box office. So you brought up movies from May and June. So not only do you have Die Hard 2 coming out the week before and Ghost on the same freaking day, uh, the other movies that came out – in and around that time, either in the month before or a week after, you had obviously Die Hard 2 and Ghost, but you had uh, Days of Thunder, you had mm. uh, Dick Tracy, you had Arachnophobia, Total Recall, um, you had another 48 Hours, you had Robocop 2, you had Pretty Woman, actually that one still was going, uh, like you said, Gremlins 2, Presumed Innocent, it just goes on and on. So what like every demographic time. is like yeah. yeah, every demographic is completely taken. So like unless it's like I've seen every one of these, I guess I'll go see this Bill Murray movie. It makes sense. So quick, then. Yeah, like that, quick that's change the was reason why. from the beginning, I guess it's not as much of a mystery anymore. It was, yeah, no shot. <laughs> Damn. And maybe and maybe it wasn't sold well. I don't know. I haven't like yeah. gone out and looked at a trailer, or maybe it didn't have like a great uh, marketing push behind it. Uh, I, I know that Dick Tracy was a big push that they were trying to make that a huge hit. So I don't, I don't think Dick Tracy was super successful, but uh, but it it probably yeah. ate they had the McDonald's tie-in, I believe, in terms of Dick Tracy. <laughs> yeah, God, I have. The, yeah. I can't believe there's not a McDonald's toy for uh, Quick Change. Yeah, well, oh, give me those. McDonald's. Like it was his I brother. We got the, the, little the Ghost VHS oh, my God, at McDonald's. I remember that's how I grew up watching it. <laughs> They were they were they were giving out like VHSs at McDonald's once, and we had Ghost that we got from McDonald's. That I forgot that McDonald's used to do yeah. that, man. That's I've seen crazy. that movie a lot. Also, not not enough people talk about the fact that like like Whoopi Goldberg like fucks Demi Moore, right? Like that's that's what's mm-hmm. happening in that scene, right? Yeah, because he's in her body, isn't he? Yeah, even a my seven year old self could could yeah figure that one out, dude. It's amazing that McDonald's would hand out such a sexy movie. <laughs> yeah. Know, yeah. Okay. All right. Whoopi Goldberg uh, and uh, – um, oh, never mind. All right. Was, well, enough, enough about going to get wrong Ghost. <laughs> enough about Ghost, which, uh, you know, ruined the chances for one of my favorite movies to be successful. So back to Quick Change. Okay. Um, so kind of the setup of this is, yeah, Bill Murray walks into the bank. 
and he's going to rob it and people think it's a joke and then he has a gun and dynamite and all everything is still played for laughs so i mean it's it's kind of like i would say maybe like Shaun of the dead where the situation is serious but you are still mining comedy out of it and it's a lot of like bill murray's quips and bill murray fucking with people and he just has this sort of you know it's, it's similar to like how he plays like um I mean, there's parts, there's kind of Venkman-y in there, but there's also definitely some, like, Phil Connors from uh, Groundhog Day totally. and stuff. So, um, I mean, we've been going a while. We've talked a lot about, uh, you know, what we like about it. We're pretty far in the podcast, so I'd say at this point we're just, like, going to go for it. So it eventually comes out that um, he is sending some people out of the bank based on his demands if, they, uh, if uh, the chief of police gives into his demands for different means of transportation to escape the bank he will send out hostages and um those hostages we later find out we have randy quaid and we have gina davis they are in on it they are part of the heist but the people in the bank aren't aware of that they think they're just randos and the people who are um like outside the bank particularly the cops aren't aware of that either uh Fabs, you want to pick up from there of uh, any of the other little twists? Okay, so what's cool about this is like if you're a fan of like Inside Man, like that's the whole thing is to confuse the police, uh, distract them, and so then the third. So uh, Randy Quay gets to go out first. He's just losing. He's playing this character in the bank vault that's just losing his shit, throwing up into like a glove, and they're just like, "Get that dude out of here!" Um, and then. Gina Davis is the next to go, but with her is a a new hostage um, because you they all the all the hostages are in the bank vault, so they they don't know what's going on in the lobby. That's where Bill Murray takes off his clown makeup. He comes out, and then they they go off. And so the the kind of last demand is this crazy monster truck that's going to take them forever to get. And Bill Murray um, and, is dressed completely different, like he's he. Dressed right. as a different character, so that he's in disguise as a different person, and he totally. basically yeah, does none of his, them uh, look like themselves. Yeah, and he and he basically does his uh, Carl Spackler voice. Uh, totally, yes, it's amazing. Baby, up your butt with he's a coconut. A, the man was an animal, an animal. <laughs> All right, well, go ahead, Fabs. Um, and so, so as they're so suddenly, you know, uh, the clown has gone completely silent in the bank. They're just waiting. They're going to storm the bank, but then they get a call from him. And then you you find out Bill Murray, the, his whole team, they are now about to be on the run. And they're not going to go into the bank because they don't want to risk it with the hostages. They've been told by all the hostages, there's dynamite everywhere. Uh, this man's an animal. He's going to stick coconuts up people's butts. He's prepared to do it. Um, so they have to play it, play it safe. And... Um, you find out their plan. They're going to go to Fiji. They they have the money. They don't they don't know that they're in on it. They don't know that the they bank taped, isn't they still taped being the held. money underneath their clothes, so they have right. money. That was like, another taped great all around their body. Right, and their plan starts to get derailed because Randy Quaid, while uh, while uh, Bill Murray's on the phone with the the police chief, Randy Quaid honks the horn, and the the police chief notices. And he's like, "Wait, what was that?" He's like, "Don't change the subject." And then he's kind of on to something is something's off here. Uh, they play it back, and then he he essentially figures out like this guy's already escaped. Like 
He doesn't know how he's done it yet, but he knows this guy might not be in the bank. And so now it sets everything in motion. They are now in a rush to get out of the fucking New York City hellscape that exists and get to the airport so they can escape to Fiji before the police realize what the full plan was. Yeah, and then uh, from there, it's kind of just like they are in New York. They get lost in New York, much like Kevin McAllister in uh, in the film of the same name, Home Alone 2. But yeah, so they're, they're lost in New York. Bill Murray's grim character worked for the Department of City Planning. He essentially hates the city or has grown to hate it. He just wants out. He wants to go. And so that kind of plays into his character that like he literally can't escape. It's kind of similar to Groundhog Day in a way of how he can't escape that town here. He just can't escape it because like circumstantial things that keep happening. And yeah, along the way they keep running into problems, different characters, losing means of transportation, gaining different means of transportation. And so it's uh, like I said, Groundhog Day would be one bit that you could pull from this. There's a very planes, trains and automobiles vibe to it as well. Even though they're in a city, it's kind of this just like one insane piece of shit after another that they have to Mm -hmm. deal with. Um, and it all takes place in one day, which I'll say is one of Fab's favorite <laughs> genres of movies, which oh, I realized I watching it. this. Um, yes. All right. Wait, one on. thing I, I realized, one thing I realized that I had never picked up on because I hadn't seen this movie in forever. In yeah. the opening scene, when you, when Bill Murray's dressed in his clown stuff, trying to get out, like trying to get to the bank, like you get some great foreshadowing where he can't get out of the subway because just this constant bombardment of people oh, keep yeah. pushing him back in. And then when he leaves the subway, there's a great sign where it's like, take the subway directly to JFK yeah. nonstop. And it's, oh, and it's train, like, yeah. oh my God, like, yeah, <laughs> take the train to JFK. It's easy. Take and the that's train, where yeah. they're trying to go. Yep. Train oh, to the man, plane. I, yep. that's, oh, that's solidly buried in there. Yeah. yeah, that I mean, that makes me appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, like what Fabs is saying. Yeah, there's this there's this kind of thematic thing of like Murray as the clown is uh, struggling in the opening scenes, which plays to Nat King Cole's love, which uh, works really good. There's a solid ironic opening that I've always uh, appreciated. But yeah, I didn't catch that JFK thing. That's a really good, yeah, really good find. <laughs> that ties into the whole theme of like about it being about New York because like in New York it's like flashy oh we got these great things it's and then when you live there it's like I gotta get out of here yeah Eric on that I was curious <laughs> so of, of the four of us Eric has, has not a New York native but you have lived there for 10 years now 10 years yeah 10 yeah. years so uh so I obviously you appreciated the film you liked it you said but I, I was wondering about how you approach that because um you know obviously you know, you can take a joke and the, the movie's just kind of like playing with it. And it's also kind of playing with an older New York. This is the pre-Giuliani yeah. cleaning up the porno houses yeah. New York. So this is the <laughs> this is more this is closer to the taxi driver New York than it is to modern day Disney New York. But a porno uh, theater but yeah, does make cur- an appearance. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I was curious. Uh, yeah, where you fell on it, like as a as a pseudo New Yorker. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't think it, it's, like, trying to insult New York in the way of just saying, like, oh, this is a shitty city. Like, I mean, his character is someone who's just kind of tired with his life, and that could happen to anyone. Yeah. So, yes, he constantly says, like, oh, I hate this town, and it's like, yeah, like, when you see things, you know, 
what got me some of the times were like when they would come upon something completely random, like that weird jousting scene early on. Oh uh, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> or it's just like, what the fuck is that? And then later on, where that lady is like <laughs> selling flowers, and it's really creepy, and it's like, yeah. Sometimes you're walking around New York and you see something and it's just like, well, what's that about? And if it's nighttime, it's like, well, that's terrifying. I need to get away from that because I've had experiences like that. <laughs> there's, a, there's another great bit where they're on a bus and um, a guy is just randomly getting his head shaved by a woman on the bus. Oh, and, incredible. And, and, and uh, Grim, Bill Murray's character, is like, it just dryly says, you're going to even that out, right? And the guy's like, mind your own business. But, like, I, I've been to New York, not a lot. Um, and, you know, the, my perception of it, I'm sure, is based largely on film. But that was like, oh, yeah, that somebody saw that once. That that was yeah. a, That's a real detail that they used. Way, way too specific, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That always. So. <laughs> the I'm thinking of a that's a that's a, a one that will really stick with me. I always think of like uh, it, this is from something totally different, but I always think of like Thirty Rock that scene where the homeless guy spits into Liz Lemon's open mouth, like yeah, like, just <laughs> coughs right into her mouth. <laughs> like I, there are so many really good like like just specific New York things that like you just mentioned it, Eric. You were like, yeah, I've seen stuff like that. Like it's like. That's a shared yeah. experience that New Yorkers have where it's like there's some weird shit that happens in this city. If you if you How want an not? idea if you want an idea of the like ethos of this movie, like the, the point of view it's putting forward, I, the best way I could explain it is like it basically shows all of New York as pizza rat. That's basically <laughs> like any interaction yes. Bill Murray and the rest yes. of the characters have, it's just constantly coming across a new pizza rat. Right, so it's like, they're, they all happen to be, like, going into these things all in one day. Like, no one's day in New York is like that. That's, like, many experiences over the course of a year or two that's just crammed into one day that make it seem worse. But, yeah, they, they, hit, a, they hit a lot of the weirdness on the nose where you're just, like, yeah, you're befuddled, you're terrified at the same time, and you just kind of have to keep going with your day. <laughs> uh, I do want to dig in heavy on quick change, and we've gone in some tangents, but you've enticed me here, Eric. So can you give us one of these moments of horror? You said, like, come across something in the dead of night and you're terrified. So, <laughs> can you give us one New York moment? So, uh, okay, there's one night I was, um, it was late. I was trying to get back to my apartment on the train uh we have a 24-hour metro service but after midnight the trains run a lot slower so usually you can be hanging out at the station for like 20 minutes or more um and then of course one thing came up where like the train i needed to take wasn't going where i needed to go so i came out and i was like maybe i'll try to catch a cab and this one um this tiny russian lady was like uh also lost and was like hey i need to get back here where you go and i was like oh i'm going this way she's like oh we can share a cab and i was like all right and you know we go i didn't call an actual cab just one of those guys who stand near the subway and and kind of like bark at you if you need a cab and we're like all right we'll get into this one and at this point i'm thinking like all right am i getting scammed what's going on um you know the lady was pretty drunk and like she was like talking to me i was in the back seat and i remember i had a book with me that was like pretty big and i was like gripping it white knuckling it's ready to like just take a swing if someone's gonna try to like pull out a knife and like take my stuff and she she kind of noticed how nervous i was and she was like it's okay don't worry i'm not gonna do it like so it's, it's kind of funny so we we get 
And then he just clocks her. <laughs> I like what he said, like, that he's, like, white-knuckling in case somebody takes his stuff. The thing that went through my head was that he's just like, yeah, they're not going to take this book. No, nope. Get this book yeah. from me. I have to this book. book. I, I, I do hold on my literature very tight, even though no one's ever interested in taking it. Um, so we get to the subway, the, the, the one we need to be on, and, like, you know, we're still, like, on the train together, and I think, like, another, like, random homeless guy comes up and starts, like, saying something to me and, like, spills his drink near me and, like, and I'm just like, oh, God, it's one of those nights. But I'm, like, two stops away from home. Um, I get off. <laughs> I think I, like, I take a... I turn off, like, on my block to go to, like, a Rite Aid just because I think I need something late at night. And, like, I'm just like, God, fucking this day needs to be over. And then as I'm going into Rite Aid, another guy just... He walks out stops like two feet out of the exit and just starts dancing and i'm like why are you doing that it's like 2 a.m why are you doing that you're just creeping me out i just like i just want to go to bed <laughs> i have no idea <laughs> just like so yeah it's just shit like that you just can't you can't make up it just happens and only in new york there may not be a reason for it i don't know but by then you're too tired to try to figure it out so uh that, that's one that's one example, one that sticks out. <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, similar kind of things uh, befall the characters in Quick Change, which uh, we already talked about this a little bit, but I will put out there, like, I feel like the script is incredibly tight and operates like clockwork. It's just, like, just con- constantly is moving the plot forward, but there's, like, never a scene without jokes and without good jokes. And I'll put this to you, I'll put this to all three of you, but... I I thought like this might have the highest joke per minute ratio of like any Bill Murray movie. Like there're just so many great like lines, bits and set pieces because obviously everybody thinks like okay, well Groundhog Day and Ghostbusters, but Groundhog Day has like serious parts too and Ghostbusters has parts where they're setting up plot like supernatural yeah. shit for plot and then there's stuff where okay now we're trying to scare you with this bit and then there's parts oh we just want you to look at this cool monster we made and so all that stuff's fantastic but like that's time when there's not jokes but here it's just sort of like like i said plane trains and automobiles where it's similar where it's like there's every scene is just we're gonna just mm-hmm. keep and and it's not just bill murray it's like every character in the scene is given lines to be funny yeah, yeah, everybody's given something that. to do. Yeah, everybody's given, like, an angle to work with. Um, I mean, obviously, Gina Davis kind of... I, I, I'd say, like, arguably, she's the... She's, like, the weakest written character, if you were to, like, identify one. Because I do think, like, she's a little uneven in, like, her motivations throughout the movie a little bit. But uh, she kind of is, like, an anchor, like, an emotional anchor of the movie. Um, and, I think and, she's like, still she's funny, just, though. She's got. She's some still good very stuff. funny. She does some. She, she does some really good stuff, and I really like. I. I. She's so. She plays like sort of the sweet angle so well that actually like that scene on the bus where she's like mothering a concussed, uh, <laughs> Randy Quaid. Yeah, I found that to be pretty funny. Funny when he's she's like rubbing his head like a like his mother used to. I found that to be funny, and she and she has some good lines and stuff. So, um, yeah, not taking anything away from her performance. I, I think she's really good she at this. She also looks but... great in this movie. I will put that out as well. Yes, yes. Hey, I will take Gina Davis in anything and everything. Uh, <laughs> I wish she was still making six movies a year. So I'm, I'm with you there. Um, but 
Yeah, no, I mean, it, it really, I could I could get on board with this being like the most jokes for a Bill Murray movie. Also, the like the most variation of of jokes because there's a lot of like physical humor. There's, but there's also a lot of like really great writing. Like uh, the line I'm thinking of right now is at the beginning where he's in the bank and the guy goes or the guard is like, "What kind of clown are you?" And he says, "Crying on the inside one, I guess." Uh, and it's just this deadpan just delivery that's fantastic. Yeah. It's that's kind of like the you know? one line that everyone holds up for this movie. Yeah, there's a few others that I I have, but um, yeah, but there's but there, but everybody's getting so much to work with in this that it seems like everybody had a really great time with it, and everybody kind of like, and I would assume with like Bill Murray being sort of a co-director of this that it had sort of that like improv feel to it where it was like here's your character you can kind of run wild with it and do whatever you want mm. with it and I feel like that really but but also with a tight script shows up and just like I think you're totally right that it's just it never lets up in in its comedy yeah so let's uh, I mean we're kind of right here already so let's talk about some of our favorite lines and bits from the film because there are many there are many great jokes joke like i'll say this i'll say there are many great jokes like like loud big laugh jokes but there's so many like just subtle jokes there's just like great line work that i'm sure some of it's like murray doing it on the day but it's not all from murray i mean some of it's from other characters so you know it's like it's it's legitimately a good script but you also have very talented comedians so some of that could have been improv a bit like phil hartman stuff so uh but yeah let's put out Favorite lines, favorite bits, sequences. Let's dig in hard and heavy. Um, I think the first one that jumped out to me early on when he's talking to the police chief and he's, he's trying to get him to let go hostages. And Bill Murray's like, yeah, that'll go great if I just let everybody out. It's just me in the bank. And the chief says, well, what about the women? He says, get your own women. Which <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guessed would have been an improv line. It could have been the, a really well scripted one too, but it, it felt it felt naturally Bill Murray like just sitting the back at him. I I also love in that I think it's in that exchange or in another exchange when he's on the phone with the captain, where the captain like is like initially re- refusing some of his demands for some reason, and Murray just as dryly as possible says, "I got to hang up now because I got to go kill everybody." Like, and the captain doesn't react with fear because he knows that Murray is fucking with them, which makes it even better. Because like the captain's like, okay, I get it. Like it's just kind of like that he's in on it. But yeah, like I love that moment. I love the line again in that early exchange, and I I agree. This movie has so many different varieties of comedy, which I think just makes it work so much better. In a lot of comedies, um, but he uh, he says I was in Nam uh, with a jerk like you, and then one of the people listening in was like, like "Oh boy, oh boy, <laughs> oh, boy. oh brother," and it's yeah. just like, and then it, that becomes a runner uh, like throughout that this that he thinks this guy was actually in Vietnam. Uh, he talks about how he could be a helicopter pilot, um, but yeah, I mean it just. It, it's so much good snappy dialogue. I, I I love it. The cameras, the cameras, they were looking at me. Quit looking at me! 
Isn't it funny that we're talking about everything from like the first like ten minutes, and we're like, "This line was great. This line was great. This, you know, because like the line yeah, that I it's... have, the line that I have is when Randy Quaid's being let out of the bank, and he's on camera, and he's he's yelling, "The stink of death was in the air." He said he knew how to make men sit up and bark, and he's like screaming it as he's like being taken away, and it's like just like hysterics, and uh, I thought that was a great line. So it literally within yeah, the, like the, the first ten the minutes. First, the first, yeah, half hour, I would say, the lines, I mean, I, I think there's good lines throughout the entirety of the movie, but the first half hour, it's just like really packed in uh, and very Murray-focused. Um, there's another really subtle one that I've always loved. So it's in real early opening and it's right around the same time so he he's getting in the bank he's pulled the gun on this old old guard which is chris elliott's father so the guy's like 65 or something 70 and um and that's where it's what kind of what the hell kind of clown are you crying on the inside kind i guess but after murray delivers that line the uh, bank guard says look i'm just an old man and murray goes <laughs> really and he goes yeah <laughs> and he, they walk inside <laughs> and like and that feels like improv on the day like murray working it out with this guy oh, to like totally. land, land on that moment um there's another early bit again this is like probably murray fucking around and trying to come up with because like again just like the lines that don't need to be funny they they milk it and that's what murray does he finds in anything he does he finds angles so like he goes into the bank he's pulled a gun on everyone he's holding them hostage um for the purpose of the scene all he needs to do is give a trash bag to the teller lady and get money from the bank like that's what needs to happen for the scene to progress um but the line he says is fill this up with regular please which is just a good snide little line that like isn't needed to progress this mm-hmm. that scene, but it's just something that adds to the character and adds to the oh the yeah, watch ex- exchange with the yeah. douchey like bank guy where he he like trades him his his flexi band watch. Um, the, I mean, my favorite. If we're talking about favorite moments of this movie, there's a like. 15 to 20 minute stretch where they're cooking with oil the moment they get into Tony Shalhoub's cab. It's like, and there's like this great suspense going on, just every variety of comedy. And I literally lose my shit and I'm brought back to like my dad hysterically laughing till he's red in the face when they're trying to explain to Tony Shalhoub, they're going to the airport and he keeps saying, where are how to? And then Gina Davis just loses her goddamn mind and says, goddamn the goddamn airport. airport. And then Randy Quaid is like, he doesn't know where we're going. He gets out of the cab and runs into a fucking wall. And it just like goes from there. And then they get involved with the mob. And like, I just can't every time I, I love it. Well, the, that 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 uh, taxi scene is just like a master class in comedic performance and writing, because yeah, it's and basically timing. T- and timing. Yeah, Tony Shalhoub doesn't speak any English is what the implication is, and they're trying to tell him to go to the airport, and Grimm keeps saying like, "Oh, he just wants to you know know which one, Kennedy, JFK." 
and um, and then eventually he gets to the point where he's like pointing to a plane on the like a, a picture of a plane on a plane ticket, and then Tony Shalhoub acts like you know, he hits his head like oh yeah, and then Murray's delivery is so fantastic. He's like yeah, he's got it. Um, but then, and I know we're like ruining some of these great lines, but or you know or just telling them, but but uh, even after that point, they've gone through so many steps. And then um, uh, uh, Tony Shalhoub still asks Randy Quaid, like, don't they have to? Like, he still doesn't know. <laughs> and Randy Quaid just freaks out. And then Tony Shalhoub runs a red light. And he's like, red! You don't even understand colors, do you? You don't know red from hell! <laughs> like, that whole sequence. That actually is not the one I mentioned, Fabs. Uh, I'll come back to it. But that, the... the uh, the taxi driver, yeah, Tony Shalhoub is phenomenal. And the Bluff Tone stuff, if anyone wants to. <laughs> yes. It's also, and the bodega. Uh, the stress <laughs> of the bodega. Oh, yeah. But I'll say that just quickly, that's not a, an accurate representation of New York cab drivers. They're usually uh, more competent than that. Well, it might have been in 1990. <laughs> that's true. Uh, all right, other ones. I've got a handful others, but other uh, jokes and bits. I liked, uh, well, because I, I, I think it kind of, that's sort of like the last 30 minutes is like when they get in the cab and then they run into the mob and, and things are like flying at that point. So to me, that, that's where things really pick up because it, it becomes like this amazing mix of different storylines and like characters all coming together like really quickly. Uh, but I love the moment of tension in the bus when they're trying to board the bus. Mm-hmm. And the bag man for Lombino, who they just ripped off, comes out of the building because uh, there, there's a really great sequence right before that where they convince Stanley Tucci and his uncle, I think, who's a mobster. Uh, yeah. yeah. They, they randomly walk into like a moment where like they shouldn't be with the mob in a, in a building. Just Stanley randomly. Tucci, who is the same age as his uncle, <laughs> as far as uh, we can tell yes. visually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's got the and, same disease uh, that yeah. Anthony Hopkins has. <laughs> <laughs> or like uh, how Leslie Nielsen, I think, was born with gray hair. There's there's no photo evidence that he ever had anything but gray hair. And so there's a, there's, that's a really fun sequence. And uh, so they get out. They have $6,000 they stole from the mob. Uh, and uh, then they're trying to board the bus. But the, but the bus driver who we mentioned... His whole bit is really funny. He's kind of like a type A personality, so he demands that they have exact change for the bus. And so uh, Bill Murray can't give him 100 because he doesn't have the exact change. So he has to run to the bodega in like a minute and 24 seconds or something and get change. Uh, he so has to get, get some bus. quick change. Quick change. Oh, oh my. <laughs> I actually didn't think of that. <laughs> um, and... Uh, it's a it's a bit that you've seen in like lots of movies and stuff where like someone's got to be somewhere, and there's an old lady like gumming it all up, and so but but it's just performed so well. Like this is like one of the best I've ever seen it done. Obviously, and his stare at her like when like, she wants to decaf Max <laughs> Wilds is just like I have been there. So beautiful, many times. beautiful. 
And then, like, when he's desperately, like, bagging up her groceries, and she's, like, thanking him. Puts the soda on top of all the breakables. It's like a four-liter Pepsi. Yeah, it's the biggest Pepsi I've ever seen in my life. And, like, the thing that made me laugh so hard, like, one of the hardest laughs I got in the movie was, like, there's already all that tension where he's, like, doing all that, jams the pop on top, and then you're like, oh, okay, he's probably going to get there. But then the cashier, like, rips open the coin uh, wrapper, and they all spill out. Like, I just, like, that was that, like, like popped the top of that joke, where it was like, I, that was what made me, like, really just, like, bust. Uh, yeah. Bust out laughing, and, like, there's just, like, that, yeah, it's just, like, within, like, 30 seconds, you're getting, like, so much humor out of it. And then, then it all culminates in all these characters coming together, because then that guy rushes the bus the mobster, the cops mistake him uh, for being the clown or, like, involved with the clown. Um, and and they don't understand Tony Shalhoub and they think that he's the one IDing him. So it get you know, then it sets up the next, like, sort of, you know, climax. Yeah. But, um, God, I, I just, I, that that's really, what, like I said before, like, that's where I, I kind of just recognize that this movie was something very special. Um. Yeah, that whole sequence, like, that's another... It kind of goes back to what we were talking about, how well shot it is. Like, there's just, like, these moments that are, like, that was well shot, but also just the tension in that. It was not playful tension. It was not, ah, it's all jokey. It was like, no, this right, is, like, yeah. presented, so like... So stressful. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And, and I felt that way at the end, It's incredibly well done. Yeah. I felt that no, way at the end, yeah. man. Like, I was, like, genuinely on the edge of my seat wondering what was going to happen in that last scene. Because I... I oh, Yeah. Having never seen it, I was like, I don't know how this goes. Yeah, I, yeah. And you're, and you're like, so really you're rooting effective. so hard for these characters that like when he's stuck at the bus, you're like, no, they can't get caught here. No, 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 they gotta get to the airport. Like, right. And just the dramatic irony and how they they do it, where like Mario, the big goon for Gambino, who like who chases after him, he he pulls uh, uh, the the police officer who's chasing them, and he tells him something. And he's like, we're going to the airport. And it's like, oh, well, surely, like, they know that th- these people are going to the airport. But it's, it's a completely unrelated case. And that's, like, amazing <laughs> writing where you find yeah. out early on that there was, like, this mobster that got away that runs, like, the New York crime syndicate. That it just, like, he was the dad supposedly last seen in Nevada. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I, I actually saw it mentioned somewhere. Um, I would never have thought of this, but yeah, I mean, so this is kind of spoilery. But yeah, it gets it near the end. You think the captain is going to arrest them because they're heading to the airport. We know our characters heading to the airport um, because the captain has both the Mario, the mobsters guy, and the uh, the cab driver in the back of his car. And so you think, oh, the cab driver is going to ID them. That's what's being set up ends up being uh, the uh, mobsters guy is going to ID the mobster. But I read somewhere they were comparing it to like Silence of the Lambs, the fake out with Buffalo Bill of where you you are watching as the audience thinking that um, the FBI is about ready to storm Buffalo Bill's house and they aren't. You know, they're in the wrong place and Clarice is at Buffalo Bill's house. So somewhere somebody pointed that out and I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's pretty cool and clever that they yeah. uh, had that. Um, but yeah, back to just some of like the the bits. There's there's two in particular I, w- I want us to touch on, but there's a couple just quick jokes. 
So um, when they get on the bus, uh, Gina Davis says to uh, Bill Murray's character, what's that smell? And he goes, used wine. Yes. Which is one of the best, like one of my favorite Bill Murray lines ever in anything is the line used wine. Um, but then going back to kind of Eric's talk about like crazy shit in New York. And this is the same bus where the guy's getting his head shaved. Murray's walking down the line of the bus and passing just a bunch of weirdos. And there's just some lady who just like, doesn't know him we have not seen this woman prior in the film she's just here suddenly and she just kind of raises her voice to bill murray who she doesn't know at all this is the first time either character have seen each other and she says this isn't my usual route my husband's in intensive care and like she's trying to like prove something to just a random stranger and i was watching that and i was like yeah that's like that is another detail of like somebody pulled that from reality yeah, yep. just some crazy on a bus. <laughs> um, so I love that tiny little moment. But uh, real quick, there's two things I think we should look at. And one is the great scene with Phil Hartman, the late, great Phil Hartman. So any favorite bits from that? So to have that scene. Oh, sorry. I, I was going to give the backstory. Yeah, go ahead. Was, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was too. Okay, so, they, so they're in their clothes they wore out of the bank. So they, they have backup clothes they're going to change into in their car, but they're they're lost, and they they find a dude who's, like, standing outside of a Rolls Royce with a map, and they're like, should we trust this guy? And they eventually are like, I'll get directions. He robs them. He's likely murdered somebody, stole their car. He takes all their clothes, so they need to go back to Gina Davis's apartment to just get some clothes so they can then go to the airport because they can't. By now, the cops have stormed the bank, and they're like, we have to, like, we, we got to go. So that's how they end up in this apartment that's in the process of being rented to somebody else. So to you, Eric. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, as was what I loved about that scene was that because of the previous scene, when Phil Hartman comes in with a gun, you're like, oh, they're getting robbed again. But he just come in because he thinks they're robbing the place. So he's like getting up his courage to like confront them, but he's not like a, a scary guy. But yeah, that thing. They'll see it's pretty funny. Yeah, it's just uh, they they play it as Phil Hartman and his wife uh, are like former hippies is the implication who have gone like into yuppies (laughs) that they've gone totally straight. And uh, there's just a lot of good bits and reactions and stuff between Hartman and Murray. And at one point, Murray says, uh, so so Hartman has the gun on him and they're. you know, he, he doesn't want to kill them, but he's just, like, trying to prevent them from stealing. Um, Murray uh, says, like, he's paying 26 or he's, he's paying 1500 for one bedroom. Um, and he's like, 1500 Try 2600 You weren't paying 1500 were you? We were playing, <laughs> paying 1260 which at that point, I think Grimm is just fucking with them. Yeah. But what I love, there's just a tiny little subtle thing where, like, like Hartman, like, kind of like pushes the gun forward like he wants to kill Murray now just for finding out how much less they paid in rent. Yeah, he paid half. He paid half, yeah. Yeah, like like he's ready to kill him just for that. Just for a moment. Um but also quintessential New York moment. They talk yes. about like the, the rent. That's like our Seinfeld runner. Any that's yeah. a 
happens in 30 Rock. Like, it, you need that. Um, but the, the, the there's another great line from Hartman where uh, um, Murray and Gina Davis are talking with a gun pulled on them, and they're trying to figure out what to do in this situation. And Hartman's just presented as this utterly high-strung guy who's already been, he says, like, we've been ripped off three times in the village, and it's not going to happen now. But so Murray and Gina Davis are talking, and then Hartman just says, quiet, no codes. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's just so brilliant. Like, yeah, even though it's, like, very clear what they're saying. I, I actually like what, because they're looking out the window at that point, and I like the, commu- I like the, I, I thought it was very funny, the firefighters, they park in front of a hydrant before that scene. And so yeah. naturally there's a fire across the street and the fire department shows up and Randy Quaid's getting more and more like nervous and agitated. Yeah. And there's black I love smoke. That. You see a black smoke across the street. And I love that he, I love that. Like, I just love the physical comedy of the firefighters just like axing out the window. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, obviously I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So their car is going to get destroyed. But I love even more the next time you see him, it's a bunch of firefighters going, oh, no, as the car goes, like, down the street because they, like, put it in neutral or something, and it, like, rolls off a hill. It's, like, a very, like, just nice, like, uh, again, add an addition to what's already a really funny scene, but then you, like, layer it with, like, hey, here's some other, like, Remember that fun? Remember the car? Here's some funny bits about the car that we're gonna like put into this other funny scene, and it like it just adds to it. It's just well, it's just and, it never lets up. And later when they're on the street, uh, I don't know exactly when it happens, but later when they're on the street, they're walking somewhere, a tow truck pulls by them, towing yes. their destroyed car. So <laughs> yeah. it's just one of those right. little so bits that's like not needed, but definitely adds. Just uh, you know, it's just a little side joke. Um, a bunch of okay, thought. so so much thought in this movie. Oh yeah, I mean, I, well, you I were talking it's... about the side joke. Another side joke that I just remembered was we've joked about the the old lady speaking Spanish, talking about flowers for the dead. Yeah, and um, I can't. I don't remember the setup, but uh, basically, like Randy, Qu- like Randy Quaid doesn't speak Spanish or something like that. I, I will. I can't remember the setup where like they, where. Uh, I think it's Gina Davis says like, like, oh, you don't even know what that is, Grim. Or um, uh, it's uh, it's um, Randy Quaid asks what it means. What Flores yeah. Parlalos Muertos asks means. what it means, and Grim yeah, says, okay, "Couldn't tell you, buddy." Remember. And then she says, "You know, Grim, it means flowers for the dead." And then right, Randy he Quaid's like has like, this oh, like, "Oh, <laughs> we're all gonna die." Yeah, he has like Grim, like, very like much Grim like knew Homer and Simpson. was lying. Uh, that's right. Know, to, that's right. I couldn't it. remember the, I couldn't remember the the setup, but like that joke was just wonderful. So for me, the like the one bit that I will always laugh uproariously at, um, and I will say that it also stands out as one of my favorite moments of comedy ever. Like when I was reassessing the movie, I was like, I I, I have to call it that of like things from skits, from films, from anything. Like, it would rank up there high for me of, like, any kind of moment of comedy. It's early when they're trying to escape the city. And they've asked, like, some construction workers where to go, and they aren't helpful. Um, There's a good good line with the construction workers where, like, Gina Davis says, Grim, you have a gun. Shoot them. 
I want to, but they're fur bearing. I'd need some kind of permit, wouldn't I? <laughs> so um, good. So so there's like good stuff there where they're initially lost, um, but then um, they keep driving, and they're like, "Oh, ask this guy," and they're in some kind of like Latino neighborhood, and there's a guy on a bike. <laughs> And he has like a rake under his arm, and he like he's they try to like sir sir, and he just acts like they're not even there, and then he crosses himself, and he start and like this um, this like Mexican like folk song starts playing on the soundtrack in the background, and he starts like going forward on the bike. And then we cut across from him. There's another guy on a bike with another rake. And they're having some kind of weird joust. <laughs> and other people are watching this happen. Like, that this is some kind of, like, important event. Like, basically, this is, like, a duel to the death. And then one of them knocks the other one off. And the implication is that he was killed. <laughs> and you have, like... You have, like, a priest who's, like, throwing the bicycle away. You have, like, his widow sitting there smoking a cigarette. The yeah, whole disgusted sequence. disgusted with them. Yeah. The whole a kid ringing the just, bell in the bell yes. tower without shoes. Like, everything. The whole sequence is just beautifully done. It's just this insane moment. It's this insane, like, going to this other place. And Randy Quaid immediately backs the car away and says... It's bad luck just seeing a thing like that. And, <laughs> and it's just, I know I'm spoiling it for anyone who hasn't seen the movie, but it's like, it makes me laugh every time I watch it. It's so good. It's I do so love, good. yeah, like a movie that is kind of reliant on more of like a tight script and like a lot of like snappy dialogue. It just takes the time for such a crazy, irreverent out of nowhere nonsensical moment that's just like and there's never an explanation and there doesn't need to be because it's like it's new york like i said you see shit like that and it's it's just it's what it is and that's what's cool about the movie the power of the movie it brings you into that inside joke and you're like i feel like a real new yorker now because i'm experiencing this crazy shit as like an avatar with this team yeah all right, so, uh, yeah, we've dug into a lot of aspects. Anything else we want to – any other character stuff or anything – any other part of the I, film we would like to touch on? I would just like to say that how I liked – I liked how this movie could have played as, like, a straight drama action type movie because I, of – Say again? Like, more of, like, a straight drama or action type movie of people, like, escaping New York after a heist. Um, and, like – I love that. So you're rooting for like the the heist comical characters; they're the protagonists. And then on the other side, you have the police chief, who's he's supposed to be the antagonist, but you don't really you kind of like him too. And so I think like when he ends up getting kind of he kind of ends up winning in the end too, even though he doesn't catch them, he catches the mobster. So it's like yeah, things kind of work out for him too. And I like yeah, because both of those characters are kind of similar. And they're because the police chief is also kind of tired of the city, and he he doesn't want to do this anymore. And he you know he ends up getting his big score at the end too. So it's it's kind of cool how they do that. And like well, people are cheering for him and stuff. Yeah, yeah they yeah. Uh, kind of going back to the script and what you were talking about, Fabs of like how they like buried stuff in here and it's like so well thought out. They draw a parallel between the police chief and Grimm because both Grimm and the police chief like 
are kind of fed up with the city. Um, so you have that similarity for the characters. There's a part where the police chief grabs his like sergeant's hand awkwardly and they walk oh, out of the yeah. scene in this kind of like goofy co- oh, like he's I love just that exci- part. excited about a moment. Well, Grimm does the exact same thing with the bank t- like the the head of the bank. He grabs mm. his hand as they walk out and so it's like this other kind of comedic beat. So there's this weird like kind of symmetry they draw there. And then another subtle one that you might not catch on a first first watch is um Murray's character worked for the Department of City Planning and um, he sees some build like a building that's going to be torn down to put up some like fucking high rise or something. He was like, why do they do this? Another part later in the movie, you see the chief sees something similar and he's like, oh, they tear him down no matter how great they were, which is obviously meant to like imply himself as well. But it's like both he and Murray are like looking at the city as it was being wrecked. Yeah. Um, so they, they draw these parallels, which again, it's like that's signs of a really smart script. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, uh, and no one saw because of ghost. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> ghost. <laughs> well, Eric, you were, you, you, uh, you and Linton both have kind of mentioned about like characters that you root for, which is like, I would argue like, most of them in this movie mm-hmm. I, I found it um, yeah. interesting we had talked about like potential directors um the one guy we hadn't mentioned yet was i guess ron howard was like the closest i did see that yeah yeah he was like one of the closest that came and his reasoning for not uh ending up taking the job <clears throat> is that he said he it was a movie he didn't want to take because like you didn't have characters that you could root for and i find that to be like <laughs> insanity that he would I say saw that. that. I saw that, and I chalked it up to like, God, Ron Howard, you're just a fucking Boy Scout. <laughs> like he yeah, couldn't right, look at like right. a, exactly. like, a character that's much. cynical. Like, too... <laughs> like cause the, the the main characters are cynical, so he's like, oh, I can't root for these people. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. This like, is an Annie know, Griffith. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I know it, it definitely has that air of it being like, you know, there's no like hero here there's not like a tom hanks hero so no thanks yeah yeah Yeah. he's not solving math equations with his mind (laughs) (laughs) i actually like some ron howard movies i'm not totally trash i do as well you do backdrafts yeah but i but i will say that that was utterly nutty to read that he thought (laughs) there was no one to uh like sympathize with because like I, I think you're there with the three, you know, the the three main characters. I think are very sympathetic. They they rob a bank, but they aren't bad people. Like they aren't right. they aren't yeah. criminals or they aren't violent. Right. Um, it's like raising Arizona. Like you you side with with the two with the family in raising Arizona, even though they kidnap that baby. Like <laughs> just based on the way it's written and presented. Um, so I right. think it's a similar kind of vibe. But yeah, if you haven't yeah, seen this movie, like, like rent this movie immediately. It's so good. I'm blown away that I I truly had never heard of it until you told us about it. Yeah, like, I'm surprised I, that I, you've never brought it up to me before. Maybe you have, and I just forgot and never. I I don't. It. I, yeah. Um, I know I've shown it to different people over the years. Uh, we just might not have been in a place where it like made sense of like sit down and watch this with me now, Eric. Um, yeah, I, I may yeah. have mentioned it at some point, but uh, yeah, I mean it's uh, it's one that I you know have loved forever, and uh, I'm I'm glad Fabs is a part of that cult. That 
we're out there, and our numbers are growing, as evidence. There are by dozens of us. Yes. <laughs> but yes, uh, yeah. Any other bits that we want to put out before we uh, wrap up? Anything you want to go into? I mean, totally fair game. Ooh, I think we've done it all. All right. I will say, I think the score is fun. It's Ooh, got, that main uh, theme is good. It's that got a nice real bounce. Good. It's got a nice yes. bounce to it. Um, and the, a, they do a great job in that stressful scene where he's trying to get the change with the mm-hmm. score, like that. Even though I know what happens, I was I'm still like on the edge of my seat, and I'm just like, please, just, just get on the bus. And it just seems like impossible, but it's so good. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I think the score's never been released. Like sometimes they'll do those kind of like La La Land releases and stuff, um, and I don't think they've ever. And even on obscure movies, I don't think this has ever been released because so I, I would have it. Uh, but I do have. I've ripped from the film. I have the main theme because it plays over the credits cleanly, so I, I'm able to have the main quick change theme, and I have the Mexican joust theme that I have uh, ripped from <laughs> yes. the film because I have. That's to, your ringtone. Uh, it should be, Steve. I, I got to get the the main theme. I got to find. I got to rip that because it. Uh, oh, I can, it, it really I can is get good. that to you. Yeah, excellent. Um, my only other my only other question is: Did you guys find it weird that a city planner would get so lost within the city? Because Bill Murray <laughs> is a city planner, and he had been for so long. And, and he was also only... like a mastermind. He figured out the yeah. uh, the plot. You know how to how to rob them. And he scouted it. Like I got to think if you're scouting it. You gotta have a map. Like the fact that they don't have a map, neither none of the characters had a map on them, made no sense. Like, yeah, you I, have a map I, in your car. I will say, I think the movie is able to hide it a, a little bit, though, because the reason they get lost. I mean, you you raise a good point, and I and I think back to like there's a bit in one of John Mulaney's stand-up sets where he talks about ho- watching Home Alone two as as an oh adult yeah, and, and a New Yorker where he says <laughs> that title is ridiculous. Lost in New York? How do you get lost in New York? It's a grid system. Um, yeah. But uh, but they're in, like, the boroughs, so that, that might be different. Uh, I, I don't yeah, know, the airports but... are in Queens and Brooklyn, so you, yeah. You yeah, be... but so uh, I think the way the movie hides a little bit is Grimm. Uh, so Bill Murray and Gina Davis are talking in the back seat. Loomis is driving, and Loomis is presented as kind of like a well-meaning idiot. So Loomis mm-hmm. gets them lost. So, like, he misses a turn or something, or the sign has been taken down or whatever happens. And so yeah. that's how they get screwed up. And so it's like, it's Grimm doesn't, isn't the one who does it. So it's kind of like, oh, my lackey messed yeah. things up. And I think then he I'm knew, stuck. yeah, he knew the route, but I guess when the, the sign went down and they couldn't figure out how to get back to it, it's like, well, what do you do now? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would think they would have a map in their car. Most people did, I think, but I guess they, yeah. They didn't. And he says at one point, uh, he's like, if only there was a landmark we could see to kind of like mark our way. And they're driving like away from the Statue of Liberty. That was nice. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> they although they, they do. I will say they, they do cover their tracks pretty well because they initially get lost and then they pull over to the side of the road with a guy to get directions. And he ends up mugging them and and he shows them on the map like. And Bill Murray's like, oh, okay. And he figures it out. And from there, they drive to Gina Davis's apartment to get new clothes because their clothes have been stolen. And so, and that's when they lose their car. So, like, they did yeah. essentially find out how to get where they needed to go. 
but then they lost their car. And so then so it's like a plane, trains and automobiles thing where it's like, okay, now there's a new issue that's blocking us. Right. Um, But I do love what you found fabs of like the subway thing being the solution that was like laying out there the whole time. And I'm sure that's intentional. I thought it was so good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's intentional because I read in the trivia that I guess in the, um, so like they mentioned Lombino, uh, Lombino's this big gangster and Bill Murray says, uh, you know, you've been in his place 50 times this guy owns restaurants uh parking garages you know preschools. lists all this stuff that, yeah and he says preschools is the final gag but i've never caught this before but it says in the trivia that i guess in the airport there's a poster in the background of one of the scenes that says like lombino apartments or something or lombino oh, real awesome. estate <laughs> so that's like a little thing that like that doesn't need to be there but they're thinking those steps ahead. That's so good. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, you were asking about uh, getting lost. I will say on the, the plan, I've always felt what he did would work at the time. Yeah. It wouldn't have it wouldn't work now with, like, as many cameras are, that are everywhere oh, yeah. and everything. Yeah. Um, and, Eric, you brought up the issue of GPS, <laughs> of them getting lost, um, and GPS uh, kind of uh, solving some of that. But, but I think at the time you could have done what they did and reasonably ha- had the hope of escaping. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah. I, totally. Yeah, totally. Like – this is from a this is from a simpler time when you could you could rob almost anybody and get away with it, you know. People and were, inside yeah. man takes this like the next step forward where you yeah. make every hostage dress the same, you blindfold them, and then have them all run out. Then you don't know who was involved with the heist because you you mix everybody in together. Yeah, yeah, and I think like yeah, because once it, if you're the police chief and you realize that like oh the people who we thought were hostages were probably the people that did it and now they're in the wind and it's like okay they're probably leaving the country so you could go shut down the airport but i don't know if you even have the resources to do that in that situation so it's like i you probably just let them go at that point i don't know yeah it'd be really tough once you realize they're gone that it's like we can try to chase after them but we don't know where the hell they would even be going the one plot hole that uh, possible plot hole that popped up in my head as I watch it this time. So they're going to go to Fiji and then we find out that because they've hit all of these problems, Grimm had also booked them on a flight to Martinique and uh, Gina Davis questions whether or not is there a like, is there a different flight past that? And he's like, let's just focus on working, getting on this one. Um, so it's kind of played as a joke. But it did make me wonder, like, well, to get to any of those kind of places, they would need passports. And don't you have to have all that stuff cleared before you go? I remember, like, the couple times I've gone out of the country. So how would, how would like, Randy Quaid and Gina Davis not know? Because wouldn't they have had to have gone to, like, a passport office to, like, be cleared for Martinique and any other I don't country? Think, I don't think you would need a pre-authorization for, like, a Fiji or Martinique. Like, he could have gotten their information and pre-bought the tickets would be my guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure because I remember like I went on a cruise once, um, and I think we went into like Canada, and I thought and I had to have a passport for that for something, and I had to like have it prepared. But but maybe I didn't have to go. It uh, you know I guess theoretically maybe I just w- needed to have it on me, and I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. All right, uh, okay. Worth digging into. 
Yes. If you meet if you meet Bill Murray, bank. make sure that's what you ask. <laughs> the only question you ask him is that. Uh, on that note, uh, so he was uh, asked about this movie, and uh, this was an interesting quote from an interview some years back. It was like maybe 2010 or something. He said, um, so I guess, I, I guess at the time he said, everyone will enjoy this movie, but New Yorkers will enjoy it, especially because they know how bad their city really is. So that was a, a quote from the time. But then from a 2010 interview, he was asked about it. And he said, it's great. It's a great piece of writing. And how about that cast? You couldn't get that cast together for all the tea in China right now. I mean, Stanley Tucci, Tony Shalhoub. So yeah. uh, Murray loves it. Murray yeah. embraces it, as he awesome. should. Yeah, he's yeah. also said, he also had some quotes out there about like why he's never directed anything else. Because this is his only, mm-hmm. obviously, movie that he's directed at all. And yeah. uh, it was in true kind of like Bill Murray form. It's like Bill Murray's the kind of guy that you don't even know if he's showing up to the set until like 10 minutes before he's supposed to shoot a scene. Yeah. So I think his, his biggest gripe with directing and why he hasn't done it since is because it's so much detail. Yeah. There's, there's just so much that goes into the process that it's just not for him. Um, yeah. Which, which uh, certainly tracks for a guy like Bill Murray that I, cause like, I really like we've said already a million times is like, because of how good this movie looks and how well it's shot and like written and like handled, I would have loved to see him handle some other stuff. I think Bill mm-hmm, Murray as a sure. like filmmaker would have been pretty incredible. But yeah, I mean, it it definitely doesn't seem like he's like maybe got or or wants to have the temperament for it, which is like totally understandable. But and I I do that think we never though, got anything else. Yeah. Um... I, I do think like he he brings a lot to the table when he is on sets too though. So like while he doesn't direct them or yeah. write them, I know he said I mean more than other performers, I know he said this and you know, I, I mean he could be bragging, but he said kind of like that he's been on sets where he's like kinda of had to rewrite the whole script. Like he meant like kind of daily, like we're gonna make this funny in a way you know we're going to do this in a way i think is funny not the way it's on the page kind of thing um to like try to fix fix it and improve it so he'll do that kind of stuff and i know like on wes anderson's stuff he adds a lot you know wes anderson kind of lets him like play and be bill murray so um you know uh yeah that's true with all that that. yeah true all right so um would you recommend quick change absolutely 100%. 100%. It's so good. Yeah, I feel like there's. it's going to have to... I'm going to have to fit this in as a life quest to get as many people to watch this as possible. Yeah. I got to take upon, take on the mantle here. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to recommend to myself watching it a second time pretty soon here. I feel like... <laughs> uh, uh, I feel like there's a lot of stuff I missed because uh, the people that had seen it more than once had a lot more stuff they remembered and I was like, I don't remember that joke, but that sounds really funny. So, <laughs> uh, I probably will be watching it again pretty soon. Excellent! It's spreading. I <laughs> um. also like to say that Bill Murray's son owns a bar in New York. I don't know why he's always trashing it. Everyone's Ooh. trashing it, like saying it's shitty, or everyone's going there. No, 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 no. Uh, the quote he had of, or of Bill Murray saying, "New Yorkers know how bad their city is." So, oh, like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> And apparently he tends bar there sometimes, and you can catch him 
Oh, that's amazing. At that bar, randomly. So you, I love you how much of a go there every years. night. Right? Yeah. Just I like that. I like that drunk for, there. Yes. <laughs> I like that for most Americans. There's like always a non-zero chance that you'll be that Bill Murray will show up at a place that you're at. That there's never like, right. Right. it's never not a possibility that he'll be there. <laughs> what would I even order if he was the bartender? That'd be something that's not embarrassing. Oh, I mean, you'd be, you, you'd just be like, make me a slimer. Give me, give me He's like, I don't know what the fuck that is. <laughs> he just spits Get on out. the glass. <laughs> Get out. Fuck Chicago. <laughs> I mean, he'd probably fucking fight you with that. I mean, he's, he's gotten at some altercations over the years. Uh, That's true. Been, uh, he, Chevy yeah, Chase he, and some other people. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, being a Packers fan, him probably being a Bears fan, we'd have more yeah. natural. You have a lot to fight about so. with him then. I yeah, do. Yeah. But not this movie. Yes. <laughs> this movie is pure and perfect, which uh, that is my take on it. Uh, I, uh, I absolutely would recommend Quick Change. I have many times in the past. I will in the future. Like I said, it's one of my favorite comedies and among my favorite movies. And yeah, I mean, it's not just funny. It's just like very well written. And you just kind of like enjoy the progression of the movie as it goes. And then just those you know great lines, great comedic performances and uh, just kind of solid all the way through. So big recommendation for me. It is like, a, I think it's rated R, but it's pretty light. It's all like language based. So, uh, you know, you like you could watch this with teens very easily. There's not anything like excessive in it. Uh, you know, I think there's just some like uh, swearing in certain I, I, I invited the teens to my neighborhood and I'm not allowed uh, <laughs> to talk to them again. <laughs> I was waiting for that joke to come out. <laughs> I was waiting for it. You ever have to be, if you're ever near some teens, this is a good thing to watch. If you ever want to round up some teens, make them watch with I drive around, hey, teens, do you want to watch the movies with me? Somewhere on a on an episode a couple time, a couple episodes back, someone like raised the notion of like renting a teen. And then we're like, oh, I don't know if you should be renting a teen. And then uh, we quickly moved off of uh, whatever that was. Was it Matt Boy, Gates? Pod- did you have Matt? Did you have Matt Gates on your podcast? <laughs> this podcast is really going to get wrapped up in the Q realm uh, soon enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's going to be used as Q evidence. Okay, so anyway, uh, Q for so quick when, change. You mean <laughs> we're going to get on the news because when some teens go missing, they're going to look here first. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the all quick right, change party. Yes, they're all at Fab's house. Okay, so uh, bringing us to the, our final segment here, can I find this? So thankfully, this movie is uh, pretty widely available. We don't always have that uh, going for us for everything that we look at. So you can find this on YouTube, Apple TV, Amazon Prime, Google Play, Vudu, and probably some other streaming services, but those were the ones that popped out initially. It is on DVD. And as I said before, it has recently, only within the last few months, been put on Blu-ray, and I purchased it immediately upon seeing that it was on Blu-ray. I mentioned on a couple episodes back that uh, there's something called the Warner Archive, which is a series that Warner Brothers puts out where they're like lesser-known films and cult classics or just like old classics that aren't like Citizen Kane-level classics, but they're just like older films 
that don't have quite the like same kind of like cultural impact. So Warner's for years now has put out the Warner archive to allow collectors to still be able to get these things and they just kind of dole them out a few a year. So Quick Change got that honor this year and I was very pleased. Mm. I will say though there is one remaining Bill Murray title or at least of the like good Bill Murray movies that inexplicably is still not on Blu-ray and uh, what about Bob cannot be found on mm. Blu-ray. I do not mm. understand Crazy. this. I don't know why that is. It was a popular comedy. It's quite funny. How do you not think you'll sell units of that? I don't get That's it. That's strange. Um, so, yeah, you can't get What About Bob, so hopefully maybe in the future that one will get put out as well. Hmm. So, yeah, so that wraps us up for the fantastic comedy Quick Change. We're going to be switching gears and looking at a um, bizarre horror film with kind of like uh, some social commentary. We're going to be looking at the 1980s Gorefest Society, which uh, we will go into the particulars of that one on that episode. So if you uh, know what society is, you'll uh, kind of know what you're in for. If you've never heard of it, which I only heard about it maybe six, seven years ago and watched it for the first time, it's pretty bizarre, pretty out there, and uh, we are going to take a look at it. So society coming up next. <laughs> 